Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope. Good morning. I have to tell you, I feel extra super biblical this morning. I, well, we're laughing already. I, I drove from Pemina to Grand Forks early this morning, and just like the Israelites, God parted the Red Sea and led me through here on dry ground, a little path known as I-29. I did not check in my rearview mirror to see if people were drowning behind me. Um, if my family shows up in an hour, we know they are Israelite, not Egyptian. Yeah, there's half the audience going, what is he talking about? (laughs) Hey, by way of quick review, so that we are all kind of on the same spot as we look into Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, I remind you of something we talked about about a month ago. As we started unpacking Ephesians chapter 4, we addressed this idea of unity. And that unity ultimately is something that God has declared us to be, unified. Those who are saved by the grace of Jesus are ultimately one body. Then we took a little bit of a break as we entered into our Easter season, and then last week, Pastor Eric reminded us that we're not uniform, we are unified. So despite our unity, there's great diversity. And he reminded us that amongst this unified body of Christ is a body with many parts, all performing different roles, and all equally important in accomplishing the mission of the church. All of that leads us to a very singular statement in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and I'll just supply the words, to the church. God gave this group of people to the church. We have an option this morning to stop and pause right there and unpack just exactly what all of those different kinds of leaders are, and we're not going to. We're going to push ahead in this passage. We need to stop and pause and just recognize that ultimately what Paul is telling us about here is a group of leaders, a very specific group of leaders that has gifts, obviously, in leadership and primarily exercise their gift of leadership by way of speaking, talking, encouraging, mentoring. We won't spend the time to say, in fact, maybe go home this afternoon, reread this passage. Okay, what are apostles? What are prophets? What are the evangelists? What are the shepherds and teachers? Those four different categories. Spend some time doing that. This morning, I want to acknowledge a very simple statement and an underlying assumption in that statement, and it is this. God gave this group of leadership to the church. Instead of breaking down what those leaders are, I propose that we go all Roxanne on this passage. And you have no idea what I mean when I say go all Roxanne on it because I just made it up in my head. (laughs) Let me explain. When I was about 10 years old, uh, I had three brothers. I still have three brothers. It has nothing to do with my age. When I was 10 years old, I lived at home with my three brothers and my parents on a farm out in the country. And at one point, our neighbors were going on some kind of vacation, and they sent their 10-year-old daughter to our house to spend three, four, five days with us while they were gone. I don't know how long it was. It felt like a year. Turns out it was probably just three days. Now, you have to understand a couple of things. When I say our neighbors sent their daughter to our house, I mean, neighbors were eight miles away down a long, boring road. 
And when you are a daughter coming into a house of just boys, this is going to be a bit of an adventure. I didn't know what to expect. And honestly, I remember nothing about that week except one single tidbit. No matter what we did, no matter what activity I suggested, no matter what course of action I laid out, her response was exactly the same every single statement. Do you know what it was? But why? This screechy, ten-year-old girl, whiny voice is still rings in my head. Literally, everything I said, the response was, But why? Let's go for supper. But why? I Let's go for a bike ride. But why? Let's stop asking questions. But why? <laughs> Sorry, I still get a little twitch in my eye. <laughs> What's worse is when you actually tried to answer the questions and were responded with more questions and this thing just kept going into perpetuity. Let's go eat supper. But why? So that we're not hungry. But why? So that we don't die. You know what? I'm going to go eat supper. You stay here. <laughs> Well, I suggest that we go Roxanne on this passage this morning. It's a simple statement. God gave leaders to the church, to which all of the church should respond with, it's okay, it's not quite whiny enough, if you wouldn't mind trying again. A little higher, a little whinier. God gave leaders to the church, and all the people of the church said, yeah, this is going to be fun. Easy, says Paul. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. God gave these leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. God gave these leaders to the church to equip the followers of the church to accomplish the mission of the church. Think for a moment. Who did Paul just say accomplishes the mission of of the church. It's the followers of Jesus. God gave leaders to the church to equip the followers of Jesus to accomplish the mission and build up the body. Think about the picture as the body of Christ, which is laid out in this book and this letter and throughout the scriptures. The mission of the church, you've heard it a thousand times. I'm still practicing it. It's the same for every church. It's just worded differently. Our mission that Hope says is to encourage people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, who let God love them, who love him in return, and who love others in Jesus' name. It's expressed differently at different times. Do you remember during our pre-Easter season, We really discussed the mission of the church with slightly different terms. We said it was investing and inviting. And this tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us, that leaders are specifically in place not so much that they do the work that the church needs to do, but that the leaders are there to help train, equip, teach, mentor, give example, and effectively invest in people to build up the people to do the work of Jesus and accomplish the mission of encouraging others to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Paul's words are this, to equip the saints to do the ministry, to equip the people to build up 
the body of Christ? What is building up the body of Christ? Well, likely it means to invest in people until they grow to maturity, but it's not just that. It has this idea of evangelism so that the body of Christ is built up, that more and more people are added to the number of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And the purpose of the leaders, the but why of the leaders, is to train and equip the rest of the church to accomplish the mission. This rattles my cage a little. And, and the reason I say that is in some ways it goes against church culture in America. I was a farm kid. We would call this going against the grain. I might say it's like petting the pig backwards. And by that I mean if you've ever put your hand on the back of a pig and you've rubbed it from the front of the pig to the back, it's really smooth. Have you ever tried to pet a pig the other way? The hairs are like barbed wire, and if you try and pet it the other way, it just pokes into your hand. It, it goes against the grain. And this idea that leaders are in place to actually equip and invest in people so that the people of the church accomplish the mission of the church is a little, at times, it seems to me, like petting the pig backwards. There's a couple of ideas here that are kind of culture countercultural. One of them is that I don't see any sense of real hierarchy within this passage. There, there's, there's a specific role for one group of people that certainly includes the aspects of leadership, but it doesn't imply that this group does the work while the rest spectate. And if certainly if we extend that idea and, and that search into the rest of scriptures, we find out that this is, this, there's no hierarchy in this model of leadership. If you look at how the disciples, the, the apostles wrote in the scriptures, and certainly if you look at Jesus' own example, the most notorious of that is when he, he went down on his hands and his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. We get the impression that leadership, whatever you think of it, is going to have to come by way of servanthood of serving people though they have a leadership role in every way god calls leaders to be fellow workers of the people that they lead but a further idea that goes against the grain of of the common of the of the uh, american church ultimately then is that this cannot be a spectator sport this idea that we have a leadership group and a follower group that just spectates is an impossible idea. It's very different than some of the events that we are used to participating in. When we go to an event, we watch professionals do what they do. Sometimes we clap for them. We might cheer them on. We might even leave fairly entertained. And if we're lucky, mildly inspired is very different than the model God's game plan for the church as he lays it out in Ephesians chapter 4. By Paul's suggestion and many others, the body of Christ is a body. It has a head, which is Jesus. It's where the brain is. It's the control center, the command and control, everything that the body does. And then there are the multiple parts those with gifts of teaching, leadership, eagerly serving the saints by teaching them, by training them, by equipping them, by investing them, and then doing the work of the church, the accomplishment of the mission, right alongside them. 
equipping those who are taught and then working elbow to elbow with them as they accomplish the mission. As a much younger man, this idea, even in my naivety, even in my youthful ignorance, started to become clear. The difference between me then and me now is I didn't have as gracious a way of approaching the topic. As a young pastor, I was sometimes would, I would bristle, I'd be frustrated at comments like, hey pastor, you need to do this because, well, you're the pastor. And inside, I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, aren't we all in this together? Aren't we all on the same team? Aren't we all in, uh, team players? And I get it, there's a very specific role for leadership that should be leadership. But when it comes to the daily working of the church accomplishing the mission, this is a team game. And I admit, I didn't always act very respectfully about it. I can remember one specific instance where I actually feel a little bit of shame about how I responded. An older person came to me and said, hey, see that person? They're new in town. They're hurting. You should go visit them. Do you want to guess what my response was? Apparently, I did not sleep well that night before that because I said, what's wrong with you? Do you have a piano tied to your behind? Right. Not exactly my most blessed pastoral moment. And yet there is this reality that says, wait a minute, we're all on the same team. We all accomplish this mission together. So today, let me do it differently by way of questions. Ponder them in your heart. What do you think? When you consider the church, the capital C, the entire church around the world and more specifically even just in North America when you consider the church or your church or if this is your church if you consider this church are we a group of like-minded people all on mission together some teaching and equipping others listening and learning, but all working together to accomplish the same task, the mission of encouraging others to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Even more specifically, how about you? Are you a team player or a spectator? It's a hard question. It's an important question. Are we the church? We've talked an awful lot in the last weeks as we studied Ephesians about go and be church. And it grows right out of a passage like this that says you and me and us together are the church. No one part diminishes the other. We do this together. It's a body, one head, which is Jesus. There's hierarchy. The rest of us, all the parts working together. Someone once suggested that instead of a head with many parts working together, the modern church looks like a giant mouth with lots of little ears, but no other parts to actually accomplish the mission. God's game plan for the church starts becoming very, very clear in a passage like this. And the question I pose to you is, what kind of team are we? What kind of team player are you? Now I suggested that there's a logical thought process. Paul says he gave leaders to the church 
And you all responded with, but why? And then Paul said, to equip the saints to do the mission of the church. And since that's not a good enough answer, all God's people said, yeah, it's not whining again, but we're getting there. They all said, but why? He goes on. In chapter 4, verse 13, he says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And we can just substitute to complete maturity. But why do we all participate in the mission? It is to mature the followers of Jesus to the point of unity. What a strange idea. Again, Paul is suggesting that as we do what God is calling us to do and be a team, as we unfold God's game plan for the church, and we all strive for this, accomplishing this mission together, one of the side effects is going to be that we actually become more mature. If you remember a month ago, I said that unity was the pathway to maturity. And here it's laid out for us. He says there's two aspects to this maturity. He says one is the unity of the faith. I would say that's what we talked about a month ago for the most part. That is the unity that we all experience because God made us one. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we are all one body. It has nothing to do with you. He did it on your behalf. And so now we're all on this mission together with our bumps, our bruises, our warts, our freckles, our problems, our brokenness, all of that coming together by the grace of Jesus to accomplish the mission of building up the church and doing the ministry, of encouraging others to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. But then he adds, this maturity also shows itself in a, in a unity of knowledge. On the one hand, there's a reality. On the other hand, there's something that we're striving for. And if you follow through the thought, it's almost as if Paul says, listen, as you make a commitment to live as one, as you make a commitment to live as the body of Jesus, all being equal team players and accomplishing the mission, you're going to start thinking more like each other. There will be a unity in terms of your knowledge. What a strange idea. This idea that says that if you make a commitment to work together, despite the fact that you have many different ideas, as you work together, as the body of Christ, each doing its part, as you make a commitment to being a team player, and as you accomplish this mission, the ideas that you disagree about will likely become fewer. The ideas that you agree about will grow. You'll start thinking in a more unified way. But don't be mistaken, the starting point is working together to accomplish the mission. Leaders and others working together to accomplish a mission despite many of our differences, ultimately leading to a maturity where we start thinking more and more like each other. Imagine, if you will, did you have two sharp, jagged um, rocks and you want to keep them so that you put them in the front pocket of your jeans, your favorite jeans. They're skinny jeans, of course, because baggy jeans aren't cool anymore, apparently. 
So you put them in the front pocket of your new skinny jeans. Now, because they're skinny jeans, that front pocket is fairly snug against your thigh. And those are fairly sharp rocks. What's going to happen as you walk around with them day after day after day? They're going to cut a little. They're going to rip your inside of your pocket a little. They're going to leave some scar tissue if you keep them in there long enough. I've never tried it for this long, but I will guarantee you, if you leave them there long enough, you make a commitment to saying, I'm going to work together. We're going to keep these two sharp, jagged rocks together for long enough. Something will happen. Those two rocks will start rubbing off on each other. And they will start shaping together. And they will start fitting together in a very comfortable way, which will not continue to wreck the skin under the pocket or the material of the pocket. My sense from a passage like this is that our striving for maturity by way of working together isn't entirely unlike that. As the rocks cut a little, it hurts as we try to be the body of Christ, this team where we all play together and accomplish the mission of Jesus, there are some scar tissue that develops and some cuts and that leaves the material somewhat frayed at times. But the commitment is we are going to stay together and we will accomplish the mission for as long as it takes. And you know what? Over time, things get a little smoother. You start thinking more similarly just as the rocks start fitting together a little better. And as you're processing that in your mind, you're going, okay, Paul says he gave leaders to the church to equip the saints for works of service. And as we do this, we grow to maturity. It's not entirely unlike two really sharp rocks in your pocket. All the people of the church look at those sharp rocks in the pocket and say, hmm, you're failing quite badly at this point. (laughs) And so you look into your pocket, you have these sharp rocks, and all the people of the church say, But why? Why would you do this? Look at the rest of verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, the two sharp rocks starting to fit together to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the result of all of this team play in God's game plan? to conform the followers of Jesus to his fullness. As the people of the church work together, side by side, elbow to elbow, rubbing shoulders, accomplishing the mission, growing spiritually and prayerfully, adding many to those who are being saved every day, there's this question of what's the end result. What's the high mark for the follower of Jesus? What's the high water mark, so to speak? The Red River at Pemina has very steep banks and they're actually quite high. They can be up to 20, 25 feet high, 30 feet. Do I hear 40? I don't know. They're high. If you have a good snowfall and it falls just right and the wind just right, those banks will be sloped gradually up. But as you go up up the bank, it'll get steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper till it is vertical at the top. And then right at the top, if the wind blows just right, a little arm of snow will come out and hang out over. So actually, if you went up with a snowmobile, at the top you would be pointing straight up. And if you kept going, you'd actually tip over a little backwards. And we play this game as we ride snowmobiles up at the river. We just call it high marking. 
Let's see who can go the highest up that straight embankment and then turn out and come back down without dying and see who can get the highest. And it depends how brave you are. And I've learned that bravery and stupidity are very close siblings. The idea is if you can get to the top, break through that embankment that comes and hit the top and launch yourself up onto the top of the bank, you've hit the high mark. In this scripture, we'd call that the fullness of Jesus. On the Red River, we call it something very different. The fullness of stupidity. And I'm not that brave. I get up there, and as soon as the thing kind of stalls out, I turn out and come back down. And then comes my oldest brother. He's got that snowmobile that's like three feet longer than everybody else because he's a mountain guy, and he's got those little nitrous tanks, and he's crazy. And we'd all high mark, and we'd go, ooh, that was pretty good, I'm quite something. And he'd come and go... Boom! straight through the top, land on the top and goes, all right, I win. And we all, yep, you do. What I hear Paul saying is as we do this, the, the answer to the, but why would we make that kind of commitment is to hit the top. In terms of our spiritual experience, in terms of our Christian maturity, in terms of everything that the church can accomplish, the fullness of the measure of Christ is the standard. It's the goal. What does that mean, the fullness of the measure of Christ? We could talk all day, but really briefly. Love would be a great place to start. What does the fullness of the measure of Christ look like in terms of love? 1 Corinthians 13 is a great place to start. Read it. The fruits of the Spirit would be a great follow-up in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience. As we, as we continue to strive together to accomplish the mission of Jesus, the high mark becomes a full embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. John 15 wouldn't be a bad place to land. He t- Jesus talks in his final days about obedience and the result of the obedience being that his joy would be in you and that your joy would be complete, perfect. That in the fullness of Christ is your on mission following him as his followers, the fullness of Jesus in complete joy would dwell in you. It's hard to get there without passing through Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but took the very nature of a servant. This idea of humility. The fullness of Christ described in so many ways is ultimately the body of believers, the saints, the people of the church working together to accomplish the mission of of the, of the church becoming more like Christ in every way and adding to their numbers daily those who are fully devoted followers of Jesus. You'll notice if you're filling in the blanks that there's one word that's the same in every summary statement. It's the word Followers. It correctly points the focus on this activity. It's you. It's not about you, but it's you and me. We are the tools. We are the hands and the feet that by God's game plan, by his own purpose and his own design and by his own grace and his mercy, he has chosen to accomplish the mission 
of the church. You, me, some of us leaders, some who talk a lot, some who listen, given to the church to equip the saints for the works of service until we become numerous and mature, fully attaining to the character of God. You've asked me a lot of questions this morning. Actually, just one, but many times. Let me close with a question to you. You don't need to answer it out loud. Ponder it in your heart. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. It's a celebration of the reality that Jesus died defeated death and in his parting said now it's your turn now you go and be the body of Jesus as you consider his game plan and how it involves you consider this what is God putting on your heart this morning as a follower of Jesus if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and are really just investigating or exploring who Jesus is, what is God putting on your heart this morning? As you consider God's game plan for the church and the fact that He's not just inviting but imploring, calling you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in accomplishing the mission, what is God leading your heart to? To engage in a way you haven't before? To give your heart to Jesus and become part of the team that's accomplishing the mission of leading others to Jesus? To engage in a way that you haven't before? To maybe get off the sidelines instead of being a spectator and becoming a fully engaged team player? Maybe just to reconsider your own role as a fully engaged follower of Jesus on mission for Him, perhaps leading others to be more on mission? These are hard questions. I ask them of myself regularly. And I implore you to trust that as we grow in our maturity, God will continue to prompt these questions as you consider them in your heart and give Him what you're hanging on to.